It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 26. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. My name is Tim Young. And I'm Daryl Rose. We'd like to welcome Daryl to the podcast that gives its guests a cup of cold water. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or sparkling water in this yeah. case, a little, yes. a little bubbly. You know that's a scriptural phrase? No, I didn't know to, that. To give somebody a cup of cold water? Oh, yes. Well, I'll leave it out there to our listeners. If they can find that passage and you send it to me, I'll send you a bookmark. How about yeah. that? <laughs> well, that sounds great. So great to have you here. I've been getting hyped up about this subject that we're going to be talking about today. We like to tackle some difficult subjects every once in a while, so I, I thought I'd bring in the big guns <laughs> to help us out to talk about what it means that God is just and the justifier. Uh, it really is, has to do with everything about how God saves people, yeah. why Jesus had to die. And when you think about it, it's just like, well, how does that work? You know, just this man dying for our sins really is is a deep subject. But there's this kind of conundrum about it because we have a God who is a just God. He requires us to be holy mm-hmm. and follow his will and his commandments. And we don't do that. We sin all the time. Uh, we have to ask for forgiveness so God has a, a standard of truth and uprightness to uphold, yet he's dealing with man that is a sinner who is dealing with false ways and, and everything that God doesn't want us to do. So how does God then bring this all together where he can stay as a just God, a righteous God, and yet forgive us of our sins? Yeah. And I think that's where... Jesus comes into the picture. And, you know, you think all the way back to right from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden and sin entered into the world. Jesus was in the plan and purpose from the beginning, even before sin happened. God knows the beginning from the end. It wasn't a surprise to him that all of a sudden mankind failed. He had given them free will. So Jesus had been there in the plan and purpose from the beginning. And you see all the way through the Old Testament, there's these little hints pointing forward to the coming of Christ and prophecies about the coming of Christ. But he had to come. He was going to come. He was going to live a perfect life of obedience to God's will. We're going to get into it that it was important for him to do the saving work that he came to do. He had to share our nature. He had to share the same difficulties and temptations that we face. And he had to overcome those in perfectly obedience, never giving into sin. But more than that, it wasn't just about Jesus sort of coming and living a life of perfect obedience and then dying an old man. Yeah. Like we find in scripture, it was very important that he had to go to the cross, which was this very difficult, challenging thing that was before him on his mind. But he was determined from the beginning of his ministry, he's going to go through with it, right? He, he got yeah. baptized. He said, I'm going to go through with that three and a half years later. And that's what he did. He was obedient. And we're going to get into, I think, why it is that he had to do that. Why not just live out a perfect life? What was it that was about this sacrifice 
the necessity that you need to go onto the cross. Right. And I think we're going to see it in some verses that there is this declaration that's being made by Christ about God and about God's righteousness and God's view of things. And that will be declared on the cross. Yeah. Good stuff. This really get us into it. This subject is so wide and all over the place. I didn't want to be jumping from scripture from here to there. So I thought what we do is just center on what I think is one of the key passages. And I think you'd agree with me, Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> it's Romans chapter <laughs> three from verses nine through 28. What we're going to do is just take this segment by segment and see what Paul is saying here about why did Jesus have to die? How does God reconcile sinners while remaining righteous himself? And what is the problem? Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I think we've dealt with a lot of the what's needed as a basis of understanding in other podcasts about the nature of man, about sin, and about the Lord Jesus Christ in past episodes. Mm -hmm. For anybody who hasn't heard that, I'll put some of those links to the important shows in our show notes. Uh, but this is this is really the hinge of all humanity hinges on this yeah. aspect that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And so this section in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 28, is really essential. Now, it's it gets pretty deep, so mm -hmm. hopefully we can elaborate on this simply at the yep. same time. Let's dig in. So we're going to start here at Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 9 through 19. So a little bit of a long section here, but... Paul comes in here, he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So here he's going to go into a little bit of a long section, kind of convincing both Jews and Greeks, everybody, that we're all under sin. So he continues in verse 10, As it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, what Paul has done just there is he's quoted a bunch of Old Testament scriptural passages. Mm -hmm. And if you look in the margin, if you got one there, and you look at that, you'll be able to see that he's been quoting from six different places. It's wow. almost like yeah. he's machine gunning verses at us to yeah. really <laughs> drive home this point that we're all sinners. And there's six of them. If you're into numbers, that's kind of interesting because six is the the number of flesh. Number of flesh, the, the number, number of man. man. Yeah. yeah. So it's all related to how sinful man is. And when I look at that list, I say, well, Paul's including himself under that list. And mm -hmm. we've all in some way fulfilled these kind of things where we've turned aside from God or there's no fear of God before our eyes when we've sinned. But in verse 19, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So he's saying that the whole point of the law of Moses, written so long ago, was to convict us of sin. Because mm -hmm. he says in another place, he says, I wouldn't have known sin if it wasn't for the law. 
And so that's one of the purposes of reading God's word is so that we might understand what his will is and how we fall short of that. And so that's what we're going to be doing this season as well. We're going to be trying to get a little deeper into recognizing sin in our lives and kind of the sly ways that sin creeps into our minds and and those kind of things. But here is an important passage so that every mouth may be stopped. It's this whole idea that we recognize our sins and we have no excuse. (laughs) We just have to stay silent before God. And this is the whole world. And he kind of says the same thing in verse 23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that gives us, again, that all aspect. There's nobody excluded except for one person, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And you know, when you go into verse 20, it really emphasizes that although there was a lot of works that were associated with the law of Moses, a lot of things that they were doing. Look what he says. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And that was a real challenge, especially for the people in Jesus' day, the religious rulers in his day, who thought that they could earn salvation, who thought they could just do things to earn salvation. And it's the same for us today to realize that while we do need to have works, and we'll get into faith a little bit later, but you know we need to have works in accordance with our faith, but it's not those works that are going to save us. That's not what God is. We can't earn salvation. I think but. I kind of meant to say that in the last passage too, because like a lot of times we think, well, I'm a good person. I'm mm-hmm. living a good life, right? But we find out from this that that's not enough. Like yeah. that you're really, when you're thinking that or saying that, that you're really dependent upon works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And really what he's getting at here is he, in verse 20, he's talking about justification. He says, mm. by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. So the question becomes, well, what does it mean to be justified in the eyes of God? And one way that it's been put is that justification is the idea of being deemed righteous or considered righteous in the eyes of God, even though we are not righteous. We sin. We fall short of God's glory, as it said in verse 23. Yeah. And that's an amazing thing when we think about it, that there is a way in which we can have our sins forgiven and that God, the creator of the world, can look at us and consider us to be righteous. And that's an amazing thing. And we might ask, well, then how is that brought about? And he's going to go on to talk about that But as we go through and we continue in verse 20, he says, by the law is the knowledge of sins. That gets back to what you were saying earlier. It brought a knowledge of sin, but didn't bring the means of forgiveness. It foreshadowed it. And he says, but now verse 21 says, now the righteousness of God without the law or not by means of the law is manifested So something has now been revealed, manifested. What's been manifested is God's righteousness, a way in which we can be justified through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was witnessed. He says it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. So all through the Old Testament, there was witness given that God was going to do this, that God was going to justify people in accordance with their faith through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, 
there's no difference. So whether you're Jew, whether you're a, right. a Greek, yeah. Gentile, he says it's for everyone. This justification is made possible by our faith. Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's very popular just to say, well, I'm saved by grace, mm. which is absolutely true. But that's a phrase taken from Ephesians where Paul says, you are saved by grace. But he also says, through faith. Mm. And he kind of elaborates on that here in this passage in verse 24 as we continue on. He says, you are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So in one passage we have we're justified by faith, and in this passage it says we're justified by his grace as a gift. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. You combine these two, right? So the gift, the grace that God has given to us is to have this avenue that if we have faith in him, if we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, now God is justified in declaring us righteous or forgiving our sins in that way. Mm-hmm. So God's grace is definitely behind this. I think this is the first thing, right? We think about the love of God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. This is what this is all about. It's not from a vengeful, wrathful God that needs to appease his wrath in some way. It's from a loving God mm-hmm. by his grace. I, I think it's a fascinating study in Scripture to study grace and mercy, and you'll often find it married with the word truth mm-hmm. or righteousness or judgment. Yeah. And there seems to be this balance. We saw it in a podcast uh, few seasons ago about the character of God, and God declared himself to be full of goodness and truth, or mercy and truth. And when you think about it, those two ideas are kind of juxtaposed to each other, because truth is all about what's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about righteousness and all of that, but mercy is the forgiveness of what is wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it says that with God, righteousness and peace have kissed one another. Mm-hmm. Another beautiful phrase. So, Look out for that in scriptures, especially in the Psalms. There's often this marrying of this balance in God of mercy and truth. And I think when it comes to the cross and what was happening there, there is this balance, a beautiful balance of mercy and truth being upheld together. Mm -hmm. And as we go on here and you start looking at that and you look at how in the Old Testament all these things were being foreshadowed. And we're being pointed forward to, you know, you come into verse 25 and there's something here that may not be readily apparent on the surface. No, this this is the difficult verse. The difficult verse, (laughs) yes. And difficult words that are here. Big word that we don't use in our everyday language today. (laughs) (laughs) At least I've never used it. (laughs) He says, well, let's read verse 24 for context. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. And I want to first of all emphasize this idea, God set forth, and you alluded to it, God gave his son, Mm. God sent his son. This is the, the redemption is the work of God. And you saw that right back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they tried to make their own way. They tried to cover up their own sins by creating fig leaves. And God established a principle there. And he says, I'm the one that's going to provide the way. I'm going to provide these coats of skins for them to be covered. And what it was pointing forward to is the fact that we were not going to be able to 
provide a means of salvation for ourselves or to be made right with God. This was going to be the work of God, a loving God, as you say. Yeah. God set forth his son to be this propitiation. Here's this big word, propitiation. Yeah, what right? does that mean? <laughs> right. Sometimes it's helpful in looking at words to be able to see where else are they used in scripture and mm-hmm. how are they translated in other places. So only two times does this Greek word come up in the New Testament, and the only other time is in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 5, right. and it's translated the mercy seat. The mercy referring, seat. Yeah, referring to the tabernacle and back in the temple back in Old Testament times, yep. and the ones that Paul was writing to would have been well aware of that. He's already alluded to the law and the prophets. He's been already there, taking their mind back to the law, and in thinking about that, in the tabernacle, it was divided up into two rooms, right? A holy place and a most holy place. Yeah. And that most holy place was where there was a piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that, think of it like a box. And the lid on the top of the box was called the mercy seat. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. That was a place that God said would be where the high priest would be able to come before God and have this communion and this meeting with God once a year. It was a very special time. It was the Day of Atonement. And on that Day of Atonement, what would happen is in Israel, the whole daily operation of the tabernacle would shut down, and the high priest would go in alone, and only he could do it. And he would take the blood representing the sins of the people, and he would go into that holy place, and he would be there meeting with God. Mm. on that one day, asking for the forgiveness of the people and the sins. And this is where the mercy seat comes in, because this is the place that God says from above the mercy seat is where he would meet with them and commune with him. And, you know, when you think back through this, and and this is a subject much (laughs) deeper for another time, perhaps, (laughs) but, you know, in Hebrews, it's it's explained a little bit more, but we won't go there because it's it's too deep for today. (laughs) But What a contrast, because where there's this contrast between what was happening in Old Testament times and in New Testament. In Old Testament times, this was a piece of furniture, the mercy seat, hidden away from view. One person, once a year, on one day in the year, could see it. Yeah, Nobody else saw it. And what he's saying here is, in verse 25 of Romans 3, God set forth his Son to be this mercy seat for us. And it's not something that's hidden from view. It's not something that's accessible only by one individual, not something accessible only one day in the year. But this is God's Son through whom we can have this meeting and communion with God by having our sins forgiven that is accessible for all people, both Jew and Gentile, any day of the year, and that's the amazing contrast between what was there in the Old Testament and what we have in the New Testament with Christ. And it's through faith, as it says, through faith in his blood. That's beautiful, Daryl. I just think about all those things in the law that foreshadowed Christ, like you were talking about. And that's mm-hmm. amazing. I hadn't thought about it in that way. Of the, It's actually a contrast between mm-hmm. what was in the law and what Jesus offers us through faith in his blood. Mm-hmm. You're saying that. That's an interesting phrase as well, through faith in his blood, because we talk about the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we're saved by his blood. 
It's really faith in his blood. But it's much more than just the literal blood. What that represents, or what the Bible teaches about blood, it says the life is in the blood. Mm-hmm. And so the blood really means the life of somebody. So it's basically having this faith in the life of Jesus Christ. It's having faith in what he did on that cross. And that cross was really a culmination of his whole life because he lived his life sinless. He went through every trial and temptation. And every time sin and these lusts came, he overcame them. He never sinned. He never gave in to those lusts. So he was a man of spotless character. And he had to be before God to be raised from the dead. And basically what Jesus Christ showed in his life was something that we want to be. And that's why God says, here's the man. This is the way that I want you to be. I want you to associate yourselves with this. And if you say that what Jesus Christ is right, then I can justify you. Mm -hmm. So, What did Jesus Christ do in his life? Well, he condemned the very nature that he had. He condemned the sin in the flesh is the way that Paul puts it later on in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Mm Mm-hmm. That condemnation of sin, by overcoming it, by saying, no, this is wrong, every day Jesus showed us the way. And God is setting up Jesus Christ as this representative, basically saying, associate yourselves with this. And that's why Jesus says, take up your cross, take up your cross and follow me. That to me is really one of the important points about we justify God in a way. We say, God, you are right. Mm-hmm. And God's righteousness is upheld when we confess our sins. And therefore, God can then turn around and forgive us of our sins and still remain just. Yeah. yeah. When you think about Jesus Christ on the cross, like what was he doing? Why did he go to the cross? Yeah. And you brought up that thing that he's going to declare that God is just, that God's right. And right there on the cross, there was a public open condemnation, humiliation, if you will, Mm. of the flesh, right? Yeah. Because Jesus, he never sinned, but he had the ability to sin. He faced these temptations. And what he says is on the cross, essentially, when, when he voluntarily, willingly has his body nailed to the cross, he could have escaped it. It says in the garden, he could have called on legions of angels to come mm. and stop this from happening. Yeah. He could have walked right away from it. But he but says, he God, your will be done. That's right. Your yeah. will be done. And he publicly makes a declaration on that cross of God's righteousness, that God is right, his ways are just, and that God is right in the condemnation of flesh, that the flesh with these propensities towards sin and and with this inclination towards sin that leads to death needs to be put to death. When you think about this, it really brings something powerful for ourselves, a lesson for ourselves when we look at Christ on the cross, because it's saying God doesn't ask us to go and like start cutting our flesh and (laughs) mutilating ourselves, right? He doesn't ask us to do that, but he asks us to do it in 
type, as it were, when the thinking of flesh comes up, we have to crucify it, yeah. put it to death. And there's a very public example of that when Christ right. is on the cross that we can look to of one that did this. And so when we continue to read through in Romans here, in the middle of 25, he says he declared God's righteousness. And verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Yeah. That's what Jesus is doing. That's He's God's righteousness. God's yeah. righteousness. He's making a public declaration. God, you're right. An animal sacrifice, an animal couldn't make that declaration. Yeah. An angel couldn't make that declaration because it didn't share our nature. Right. A sinner couldn't make that declaration. declaration. Yeah. It had to be Jesus Christ, one who came, faced our temptations, but has overcome them to make that declaration. In that way, it, when it goes on to say that he, that God might be just, that's how God's justice was upheld. Mm -hmm. Here was a, a man who faced the flesh like we do. He overcame those temptations. So he wasn't deserving of death. So he could be raised, as you said earlier. Yeah. But then he could also, by that means, become the justifier of all those who believe in Jesus Christ. So God is willing to be able to forgive us our sins, willing to be able to consider us righteous through his son by us joining ourselves with Christ and following Christ's example, which is an amazing thing. Yeah. Thus solves the conundrum that we started mm -hmm. off with. How does mm -hmm. God save a sinner and still remain righteous. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I love that phrase that God is just and the justifier of all who believe. And so just to wrap it up here in the following verses, it says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So it again comes back to our faith. Yeah. It's our belief system. What are we believing? It's not something airy and fairy saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. There are some concrete things here to show us what we are to believe in. Mm -hmm. We're to believe in that. God, you are righteous, and I am a sinner, and recognizing that in our lives. And it, it really, all of this faith really blossoms out into a belief system that's based upon the scriptures of truth, that it's everything that it's uh, showing unto us. Mm -hmm. And the idea of faith being that unwavering conviction mm. in these things, right? Right, yeah. That God's looking for. He wants us to have this unwavering conviction in his truth. And we do that by actually knowing the truth and coming to a knowledge of it and really trusting in these principles and, and trusting in God. And as you said earlier, asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. acknowledging our sins and yeah. laying them out before him. Yeah, so. and then taking up our cross and following him, just mm -hmm. trying yeah. to do the same thing. That's really what God wants us to do, is to look to Jesus for the way that we should live in our lives, and we crucify the flesh daily with its affections and lust as yeah. well, walking in the Spirit. Okay, wow. <laughs> Hopefully that makes sense to everybody. I mean, it's a, it's a deep subject, and— Go back and read through Romans chapter three, and I've had to read through it a couple times, you know, just to try to pick up on all the nuances and everything that Paul is saying here. Mm -hmm. I have a quote from somebody named Robert Roberts, who was an early Christadelphian, and when I read this, I thought he summarized everything that we were saying 
perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every, every word in this, I was just like, wow. And this is uh, by a fellow named Robert Roberts, who in his book, A Diary of a Voyage, which is interesting. It's about his trip to Australia. <laughs> yeah. He says, he gives this wonderful quote about the reconciliation we, to God that we have through Jesus Christ. Let me, this is from page 68. Let me just read it here to finish up. God's method for the return of sinful man to favor required and appointed the putting to death of man's condemned and evil nature in a representative man of spotless character whom he should provide to declare and uphold the righteousness of God as the first condition of restoration, that he might be just while justifying the unjust who should believingly approach through him in humility, confession, and reformation. You like that, Daryl? Yeah. Is that some of that good? Yeah. There's a lot in there. <laughs> you might need to go back and just listen to that again. <laughs> yeah. Well, Daryl, I thank you for the time. This oh, you're has welcome. been wonderful. And I, I knew I called you here for a reason to kind of go through <laughs> these things. Daryl and I pray that this podcast has been a blessing for you. Life can get so hectic and busy. We're so glad that you've taken the time to focus on God and his word of salvation. I imagine there might be some questions after this episode. So how do people get a hold of you? Well, first of all, you can go to our website. It's www.essentialbiblestudies.org and you'll find there a contact form. Just fill it in and hit the send button. Get back to you lickety split. But even better are our interactive online sessions. You know, one thing about the pandemic is it introduced us to using Zoom for online Bible studies, and we're still going strong. Every Tuesday night at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time, that's in New York, Toronto time zone, you can come and see us face-to-face or webcam to webcam. (laughs) It's an informal group discussion where everybody is encouraged to ask questions and share insights around some wonderful studies in the Word of God. To get the Zoom meeting link, go to our website again at essentialbiblestudies.org and you'll find there a little form you can fill in to get that. So Tim, what about people that might feel they're just burnt out by Zoom. Too much Zoom after <laughs> too all Too much these. Zoom, too much. <laughs> no doubt, but I think you'll find this to be really different. I think you'll just have to log in and find out for yourself. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You'll like us there and join the conversation. And if you do, please share it on social media. It's easy to do your part to spread the word of God. This is a Christadelphian podcast supported by the Book Road Ecclesia just up from the shores of the Great Lake, Ontario, in a little place called Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. If you're in the neighborhood, just drop by and say hi. You can find the location and times at www.bookroadchristadelphians.ca. Until we meet again, dear friends, I pray to God that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.